We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey there, Knicks fans. How you doing? It's your boy Andrew Claudio here with another episode of the Knicks Film School podcast. Hopefully you have already heard part one of this episode, which was supposed to be a quick introduction with John Macri, who I pulled off a vacation to join me as a guest. That's right. A guest on his own podcast. Uh, Welcome to Claudio Week. Uh, First and foremost, um, if you didn't get the welcome in the first part of this, um, seriously, if you have not heard the conversation John and I had about RJ Barrett and the report tonight from Ian Bagley that the Knicks are considering shopping this guy, not I guess not shopping this guy, specifically trading him for Donovan Mitchell, uh, go back, refresh your podcast feed, listen to that first. It is the most prescient thing on Knicks fans' minds right now, and I think we covered it... Potentially not in an angle that you guys are going to like, but I do think we covered all angles of it. The pro-trade, the anti-trade, why this would make sense, why you'd understand the Knicks doing it, why you'd hate it if they did it, why the gamble of selling low on a guy that may not have reached his full potential is scary. And to a lot of Knicks fans that may be currently talking to you right now, uh, They'd be disappointed if that were to happen elsewhere. Um, all that being said, it's a good conversation, and I hope you uh, enjoyed it. The conversation you're about to hear, Peter Schrager of Good Morning Football, the weekly uh, morning show on the NFL Network, as well as Fox Sports and a Fox NFL sideline near you this upcoming season. He is a big Uh, at least used to be a very big Knicks fan since joining the industry. uh, He has less time to care about our Knicks things. And uh, he did come on with me for about 40 minutes today. Um, Shout out to David Perlnutter, who is a friend of the pod, um, a KFS patron, and uh, they're boys. And he recommended Peter to me and said, if there's a crossover to to have him on, it'd be great. And when I texted Peter, do you want to come on and talk about the Knicks? He said, I want to talk about the 90s Knicks. 
topics. Um, I actually retell that story in just a few seconds. I'm leaving all of this in. I think you'll enjoy what Pete has to say. Uh, ironically, I recorded this on Tuesday at around 2 p.m. and had all these glowing things to say about R.J. Barrett and why you should believe in him. Little did I know Ian Bagley, seven hours later, was going to present a world where R.J. Barrett might not even be on the team next year. Uh, but it's a good, fun conversation with Peter. I think if you're a Jets fan and a Giants fan, you'll also get uh, some info from an insider that you will appreciate. Um, his takes on the Jets and Giants this upcoming season. Um, so, yeah. Thank you for listening. As always, guys, uh, I hope I am an adequate host for uh, this week. And without further ado, here is the one and only Peter Schrager of Fox Sports and Good Morning Football. Joining me now here on the Knicks Film School podcast, a man who, at least to me, needs no introduction, yet I think I'm going to do one anyway, senior national writer for Fox Sports. You can find him on Good Morning Football, America's number one morning football show on the NFL Network, uh, weekdays at 7 and on Saturdays at 9. Uh, you can find him on NFL Sunday kickoff throughout the season, as well as on an NFL sideline that Fox deems him appropriate to cover. You can also find him. Here's a throwback, Pete. Uh, co-author. Yes. If you're a Giants fan of Victor Cruz's autobiography, Out of you the have Blue. It. I do you have, have it. it. Yes, I have Amazing. it with me right here. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Peter Schrager. Peter, yes. welcome to the Knicks Film School podcast. Dude, thank you. The fact you actually have the book, you weren't <laughs> just reading off of Wikipedia and no. your real deal. Uh I am a football reporter slash analyst by day and a hoop head at night. Um, I am so honored to be coming on. Let's chop it up because I got takes, I got thoughts, and I got memories to unload. You got takes and memories. So I'll, I'll start with the behind the scenes. Uh, shout out to one Mr. David Pearl Nutter, Captain Pearl, to those of you on Nick's Twitter who know of him. Uh, one of our patrons in front of the pod who you are a mutual friend of and uh, who recommended you to us. And basically what he said to me was if there was a crossover of any kind that we should try to figure it out. So when I texted you, like, would you be interested in coming on a Knicks pod? And I quote, I want to talk about the 1990s Knicks. So I'm going to kind of give you the floor here. And I guess, where do you want to start with the 90s Knicks? First of all, Captain Pearl, what is it? Captain Pearl NYK, I think on Twitter is his name, yes. David Promoter is a sick basketball player. Really? the hoop in the city and like has this crazy pull-up, quick release, will shoot it from anywhere. He's about six foot three and can ball. Now he's in his 40s now, so it's not like it was in his 20s when I was playing with him. But nasty, has bad ankles. Other than that, he's a baller. And uh, when we really became friends, we were playing in adult league basketball and he is a diehard Knicks fan to the point where you see on Twitter, this dude tweets all day during the games. And he's raising his son to be a Knicks fan, taking him to games and all that stuff. But one of my favorite things, we would just go down the wormhole of like, do you remember the series against the Pacers, but not the oh, LJ no. series <laughs> years earlier where John Starks is headbutting Reggie Miller. Like, I feel like MSG does a good job going down that path and giving us those classic games. But that was when I was in middle school and when I was in high school, the mid to late nineties. And it was like, Give me Marv, give me John Andres, and uh, let's get to the to Madison Garden and let's go. And on Sunday afternoons, it was like, all right, we've got the czar and we've got Marv and you've got uh, Peter Vesey in the studio because you knew the Knicks were going to be on national TV. And uh, it's been about 20 years since they've been as relevant as that, but I still have such a fondness 
for those Knicks years. Never got the ring, but like always relevant. And from Anthony Bonner to Anthony Mason to oh, Charlie wow. Ward and Rolando Blackman, I go deep. And uh, I love those Knicks teams. So then I have to, I guess, just ask which, and this is unfortunate that this is how I somewhat remember the 90s Knicks, but which loss is the most painful? Is it the finger roll? Is it Charles Smith? Is it 94? Is it the nine men, one mission? Is it uh, anything from the 99? Nine one mission was so effed up because, you know, like they, you had the series and mm-hmm. then now we got, I want to say it was like Herb and Buck Williams starting in that, in that final, you know, game six and game seven. And you're like, wait, 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 we've taken the heat all this way, but the one that hurts the most has to be the 94 game seven. And it's because you had the edge going to Houston. You go down there, you're up three games to two, you lose game six, fine. And then Starks, who has been such a stalwart for the last several years and had this amazing story from, from, you know, the grocery store, you know, bagging, chopping bags and groceries. And then to have him be the goat at the end and not in a good way. It's like, no, 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 it's not supposed to go that way. Starks is our guy. Like supposed to live and die with Starks. And yet, for him to have that game in game seven was, just, and I remember it, it was on a, I want to say it was on a Saturday night and it was like, it was so deflating. And then you think, all right, well, next year we'll get back. And then it doesn't happen because the Pacers, whatever. And then the next year we'll get back. And then that suddenly the heat and the bulls are back in the mix. And it's like 94 to go up in that series three to two and head down to the summit down in Houston and to not seal the deal. It's like one of those great regrets. The only uptick on that was like that was the greatest like june of our lives oh like, yeah of that generation i was in sixth grade at the time and it was like rangers win knicks win rangers win knicks win rangers go on the road to vancouver knicks go down and they win and you know it was just like an amazing ride so you've heard about the spring of 94 mike and the mad dog jumping back and forth and going to each place like it was that cool especially uh back in the day when there weren't a million options online and on twitter and it was like you're just watching football basketball and hockey you're speaking so many of my love languages right now. Bring it up, Mike and the Mad Dog. Talking, about, I'm a Rangers fan too. Yeah. They're the like, Rangers are the only professional team as a fan of of at least that has won a team, won a championship in my lifetime as a Jets, Knicks, and Mets fan. Yep. So that '94 season obviously means a lot to me. It's funny you bring up the the almost of them winning a championship and then pointing out like they never got that close again. Mm-hmm. I mean. Is that like the biggest takeaway? I don't know if you read Chris Herring's book, uh, Blood. I'm going to assume you read Chris. I've read it and I love his work. And I'm going to date myself. He used to write for the journals. He used to write for the Wall Street Journal. No, so he works. um, Oh, this is probably bad. Oh, it's Sports Illustrated now. He's in Sports Illustrated now. He went from to ESPN 538 because he left the Knicks beat. Got and it. then he now he's he doing more national stuff for a while. And I did read the book. I got an advanced copy. I was like, this is right up my alley. Um, yeah. Yeah, look, like you go back in the day and, you know, they went to the finals again, I want to say in 99 in the lockout season, but it never Mm -hmm. felt like that season was even like as legit as the 94 one. And there's all these different examples. Now, before 94, of course, they're up two games to to nothing against the Bulls. And you're like, all right, if Charles Smith finishes that layup, whatever, maybe things change differently. But it was Jordan. Like Jordan was always this like giant, giant, like hovering, like with Jordan out of the league. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you know, gosh, I look back on that series and I look back on all those, you know, 94 and 95 to a point like that little window that the Knicks had. Um, 
you know, but Riley leaving was a heartbreaker. And then I guess Van Gundy takes over and it's like, okay, like it's fine. And that, that those teams weren't as much mine as those Riley Knicks. Cause there was attitude and energy and like, you didn't want to fuck with Xavier McDaniel. No, like no. you knew you're coming to the lane, like Mason's going to knock you down. And Mason didn't just talk to talk. He walked the walk. And then to have Oakley on our side and not on the bulls, like you had bullies on this team. And Ewing was tough as shit. Like Ewing was good. Ewing was like, I mean, we, we, we lionize him now, but like Ewing was clutch. And I know he missed the finger roll and people were like, well, he never got it. Done. Ewing was that dude. And then those guards, whether it be Derek Harper or it be Rolando Blackman, or it be whoever, even Mark Jackson before that, like there was a toughness and a bit of a yapping. And I loved Ro Blackman and Mark Jackson because they also represented New York. You know, mm-hmm. these guys, Mason was a New Yorker. Like these guys came out there and it was, they repped the streets. Like you knew where they were coming from. So I just, there was a cool identity and you throw in the, you know, go New York, go New York, go. And the whole thing, like it was a time to be alive. And I know a lot of Knicks fans are younger now and they're, they're repping the team. And I love the videos that got viral after, you know, last year's <laughs> season opener. Or even don't say it. Bong. Don't say big. Just don't say bing bong is all I ask. No, I'm not even going down there. I know, okay, it, good. But, like, but I know that there's like this passion and there's yeah, like, yeah. It's like a brimming optimism of like this is it. Like, yeah, just trust me, it it'll come again, and it will be. You guys have earned it, and and I say that you guys almost like I'm like the third person because I'm not as involved now as I used to be. But like I lived and died with those Knicks in those early '90s, and a lot of my life memories uh, from my high school and middle school years were tied tied to those games. So we have a a kid that just turned 20 that started out as an intern. Now he's kind of a a host as one of our, our draft shows. Um, his name's Chris. And he, like, I always wonder why someone in their twenties, or at least that's just turned 20. What drove, what, what drew you to the Knicks? Cause you don't have what I have. Like I have the nineties to go back and remember when that is. And it's why I, I hold as, as much as it's caused more problems now, probably that sure. 2021 season that just happened, the we here year. It's why I hold it probably in more esteem than it probably should be because that now gave a generation of young Knicks fans the chance to understand what it's like when the Knicks are good. And when dude, they when they're hosting a playoff series. One. Right. They won one like, playoff game. Yeah. I was at that playoff game. Yeah. And the garden was electric and yeah. I never went to the games when I was a kid. Like I didn't have like that access to like, in there, but like I got to that game and you know, the whole Trey young thing was kind of cool. It felt like Reggie a little bit, but like for those Knicks fans that are 20 years old, and I'm not sure what your connection is, whether it goes back to loving the way Gallinari used to shoot threes <laughs> or you were big on Chris Childs, punching Kobe, whatever it was, that generation, that younger generation, like I think it's so cool that there's such a diehard fan base considering 20 years of terrible basketball and with yeah. the one exception of that one Carmelo year where they made a little run. I, so I also hold the mellow. I'm, I'm very much the mellow stand of this channel yeah. and of this, of this pod. So I hold that mellow year as a little more high regard than like a one-off. I granted what happened the next year was so tumultuous huh. that it was tough to defend that there was any type of longstanding run there. But you're right. Like it, it, it's just not the nineties. Like every year we were wondering how far into the playoffs they'd go, not would they make the playoffs. Um, I have a question. Oh, God. It was just the last point on that era. There was an aesthetic to it. Like mm-hmm. you would watch MSG and it was like, Holy shit. We're watching the Knicks at the garden. And it had the same font, the same look, the same announcers. 
And then you go to the weekend games and I mentioned this, but it was like, it was a big deal. I don't, you know, ESPN is a competitor now. I'm at NFL network and I appreciate their coverage and TNT does a fine job on their Thursday night stuff. But like those Sundays when you, you know, you'd have the early game would be the Knicks against somebody, it'd be mm-hmm. the Bulls or it would be the Pacers or the Heat. And then it would be like the late afternoon game from the key arena. And it's, you've got, you know, Tom Hammond is here with Steve Snapper Jones and we're watching Sonics Blazers and you didn't see Sonics Blazers all week long, or you didn't see the Phoenix Suns with Barkley and Marley. Yeah. And it was just like Sunday afternoon. You, you, you do your cartoons in the morning, your rec soccer, whatever you got. And then you were locked and loaded on NBC and that music, the John Tesh. Mm-hmm. Round ball like, rock. Yep. Such a feel and time and thing. And then the NBA playoffs, it was like, you throw the remote away. Like that's what I'm watching. So I hate to go down memory lane, but it was just a different time. No, I believe me as someone who grew up in that and became a fan in that. I, I appreciate it. Um, so you said you were in sixth grade for the 94 yeah. season. So like obviously someone who knows your career and has seen you what's your your career has i guess ascended to at this point my question about fandom has i've always been fascinated like i used to host a show where it was like more of an, a, a final interview where i wanted to find out where prominent journalists like yeah. when when you went from being a fan of sports to now i cover this this is work do you have a moment when you were watching sports, not no longer as a fan, did it click off right away once you got your first job? Interesting question. I grew up a uh, Giants fan mm-hmm. in the NFL, and I'm not affected when the Giants lose anymore, like at all. Yet when they do win, there's a part of me that just feels great for the fans that I grew up with and like my friends that like live and die Giants. But the second you start covering this, it goes from being teams to like rooting for your people. And when I say Mm. people, it's not necessarily inside sources, but it's people who have opened doors for you. It's people that have been good to you and it's players that have always treated you with respect and they're all over the league. So whatever, you know, Sean McVay and I did a podcast last year. for Uh, Flying coach. It's amazing. You should go find it if you haven't heard it yet. It's a cool concept. And it started with actually Steve Kerr and Pete Carroll doing it for Bill Simmons. And then Simmons and I were talking and McVeigh and I have been close friends for more than a decade. And he was willing to dip his toe in it. And we interviewed 10 different head coaches. So, you know, McVeigh becomes not only a friend, but a brother and all of a sudden. So like when he's playing against the Giants, I have no great relationship with necessarily Pat Shermer, you know, like, so I'm rooting for Sean and his success. And of course I'm invested in that, but it's all from 30,000 feet. I'm not supposed to take sides. I don't have it. But when you see your people win and the guys that have been good to you win, and like, I love Todd Bowles, right? I love Todd Bowles. I've known him for years when he was with the Jets. Like I thought he might've gotten a raw deal there at the end. Like, so to see him with Tampa, like there's a place in my heart for the Bucks, And it's not because I grew up rooting for the creamsicle Buccaneers and John Lynch and Ron Barber. It's because like, I'd like to see Todd Bowles in his second shot at head coach, you know, have a couple, a couple wins on his side and, you know, let's get another shot at it. So you root for the people more than the teams, but you better believe like the fact, the fact that I grew up with giants and jets fans and what they've been through the last decade. Like I would love to see both those fan bases have some success this year. I have five minutes at the end dedicated to asking you why I should have any hint of optimism as a Jets fan. So we'll get to that in a little bit. Um, So 
part of that interview series, like I, Anthony DeComo covers the Mets, like grew up a Yankee fan, and he got to write the pinnacle book that's the autobiography of David Wright, something yeah. he probably never thought he'd do. Uh, Howard Beck, who covers the NBA, uh, I think he's also now at Sports Illustrated. Um, he grew up in Northern California, and he talks about like growing up idolizing Jerry Rice and Joe Montana. And then the day he got to meet them, he stopped for a second being a reporter. Like imagine so telling, cool. imagine telling 10 year old Howard that I'd one day meet Jerry Rice or Joe Montana in a, in a formal capacity. Do you have a moment like that where it was someone you grew yeah. up idolizing that you met? I don't geek out at the football uh, mm-hmm. or basketball guys. Like it's oddly enough. And I think you can appreciate this based on the, the people you've interviewed and such esteemed journalists. Like, I freak out when I meet Jim Nance. I freak out. I freak out when Troy Aikman shouts me out on air because I said something good on Good Morning Football. I I love that I have you know relationships with some of the broadcasting guys over the the course of my career, like Kenny Albert, who's obviously Marv's son. I Mm -hmm. went to Fox, and we were just in LA for a big Fox event, and Kenny and I talked for twenty minutes about the '94 Cup and you know how he was working as a you know, as a young cub, like radio guy doing that game and how he met his wife and all that, like, that's the shit I geek out on. Mm-hmm. I, I met Barry Sanders. I thought that was awesome. Lawrence Taylor, I got to meet at a young age when I was doing inside the NFL and it was like surreal. Um, but I don't necessarily have that for the players because I never thought I could be a player. But when, you know, I the first time I met, uh, you know, James Brown, I thought that was awesome because oh, wow. I grew up watching James Brown and I'm like, Okay, now I'm in the same kind of room as James Brown, and uh, and you know, so I not to flatter them all too much because they're all colleagues and uh, contemporaries, but it's the broadcasting guys and the sports writers, um, Bill Simmons included, who I'm working with now. Who I know he's got a lot of critics, but shit, when I was in college, the reason I'm doing journalism now is because I was addicted to his voice and the way he wrote about sports. And I think a lot of the sports bloggers and a lot of us on Twitter and all that stuff um, where you can kind of blend the fandom with the objective uh, commentary. I think that comes from Simmons. So to meet all these guys, that that's where it's at for me. It's one thing that, that we've tried to do well here at Nick's film school, like try to blend objectivity and like, yes, you're, you're coming here because we are a Nick's, fan run site but like we try to be as objective as possible about our coverage um a couple of weeks ago our, our normal host john he's the biggest zach Lowe fan that's ever existed yeah and we had him on for episode 500 and just like seeing him swoon throughout that is you know a similar situation and all sure- bets are off if i ever have a chance to meet francesa i'm just gonna throw that out really? there now yeah let's make it happen i like, know listen francesa. if you make let's that happen <laughs> really we'll connect you you'd love to come on i'm sure okay mike um, friend come on the pod mike okay make, back that's after my this one gift to you i'll at least get you in touch with the right people who can make that happen as far as mike actually doing it i'm not sure that's but the other part I, yeah we I might can have give to you that bridge. <laughs> um but i bet you zach lowe was flattered and honored to meet you guys and probably has five people, whether it be Bob Ryan or Will McDonough or whoever he grew up reading that mm-hmm. like he would say it. So to me, that's the cool shit. Um, yeah, it's fun seeing Saquon and it's great to work alongside, you know, I work alongside Michael Irvin and uh, I'm going to be doing a show on Sundays this fall with Charles Woodson, Mike Vick and Sean Payton, who individually, all three of those guys, I really revere their NFL stories and careers. Um, but that's not like 
oh, wow, like I finally got to meet Mike Vick. To me, it's, oh my God, over there, that's Ian Eagle. You know, yeah, like that's what yeah. I get excited about. <laughs> yeah, we're, I feel like we're cut from the same cloth because the players I got over quickly and it was the the broadcasters and the people that, are the actual people I idolized that, yeah. you know, I got to. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You said you have NBA takes, and we're recording this on Tuesday at around two o'clock. Kevin Durant this morning um, announced that he's going back to Brooklyn, or I guess the Nets announced that he's going back to Brooklyn. It's funny how they, I love how Mark Berman worded it that only the Nets would like drop a press release that the guy already under contract is coming back, right? Yeah. With the boardroom stamped on it, too. I don't want to turn this into two anti Nets, but. Well, so my well, first question, because of your intel, do, do you have any crossover with NBA sources yeah. and NBA? Okay, so how much did today surprise you? And like, how much behind the scenes do you know about this? Stuff? So it's funny because like that Shams, he comes out on draft night in the NFL and sometimes will be like, sources tell me. And it's a, you know, he's got to kind of I'm like, stay in your lane now. Like, <laughs> I could do a little bit of that in the NBA. I, I know my place. Uh-huh. I, I'm dropping any bombs, but I actually, uh, living in Brooklyn, I've uh, become close with a lot of the folks with the Nets organization. And before, you know, they brought in KG uh, and Pierce and all those guys, when it first was like, you know, Brooklyn's coming, like it, back in the old days with uh, what's his name as the owner? I couldn't even tell you his name right now. Uh, Prokhorov. Prokhorov. Yes. It was like cool to like be like, all right, I'm going to give these. I know there's a Knicks Nets thing and it all goes back to LeBron and billboards and Jay-Z and all this stuff, whatever. Fine. But when no one was going to those Nets games, I would be going to those Nets games because I wanted to see NBA games. Um, this new version, they're really good. They're not very likable. Like, mm-hmm. it's hard to, like, say, okay, I grew up in New Jersey, which I did, and had a place in my heart for Kenny the Kid Anderson and Derek Coleman and Petro and Sam Bowie and Ron Anderson and, like, those, those Nets teams of the 90s. And then to be like, oh, so it's Durant, Harden, Kyrie, and the cast of characters that are all coming along as strap hangers for this ring. And then Harden wants out. Kyrie, you don't know if he wants out or wants to be there, doesn't want to be there. But this Durant thing, like the last 60 days, what what was that? Like yeah. what? So then today to be like, just kidding, I'm not trying to fire the GM and head coach. They're my guys. Like, who in their right mind wants to root for that whole situation? So I just, you know, as a Brooklyn guy and Patty Mills was around the corner, I see him. He's like, he lives here. Like, Mm -hmm. that's cool. Like, to me, like, 
the fact that Nash lives in the neighborhood and he lives in Brooklyn and I see Nash and his kids, like, that's awesome. I want to root for the Nets in a little bit of a way to see like, they're cool for New York, like to have the Knicks and Nets. Mm. But like, if Durant wins a championship with the Nets, like, who's like, I don't know, like who, where's the heart there when he just tried to pull this whole stunt for the past 60 days? I don't, it's funny because, so we we do normal, just NBA stuff, non-Nick stuff on our Patreon. And from the moment he asked out, I was like, I don't see the trade. Like, I think this ends like it did with Kobe in 07. Like he just goes back to, his current situation that might be a contender anyway. Um, the player empowerment era made me think that it's like 10% could happen. And you hit it with the unlikability though. And I almost wonder if like Knicks fans are now like we dodged a bullet. I think that would change if the, Knicks, the Nets actually win something this year. Um, I don't know. Where where do you stand on, I guess, player empowerment? Not necessarily as a concept because I, I like it that it's power great. has shifted. It's but great, it, it can at a certain point be like you're under contract for four years, a contract you signed less than a year ago. Look, when it's millionaires, and you're asking out, yeah. When it's millionaires versus billionaires, mm-hmm. I'm usually going to side with the the David versus the Goliath. Right. Say, oh, go get yours because in nine out of ten situations, the company pushes you around or the billionaire fat cats push you around. But there are fans in the middle of this thing, so. I just feel like it was so much wasted breath. And like, we're almost lucky that Stephen A. Smith was gone the past month because <laughs> I couldn't have dealt with it, all the, that, that stuff because uh-huh. to know that people were screaming and going nuts about Durant. And then at the end of the day, it's like, well, let's put my logo on it and Annette's logo and everyone's hunkadori and me and the Australian GM are boys. Like, yeah. are you, I don't know. Like it doesn't seem right. So, um, Player empowerment's great. Football, you saw it this year with Devontae Adams and you saw it with Tyreek Hill and like, I'm all for it. And uh, Lamar Jackson's in the midst of something right now where he's like, I'm going to bet on myself and I'm going to figure this out. And I think that's cool also. So um, I'm all for it within reason. I, as long as you don't disparage the the fans in the middle of it and get them involved where they're like, wait, do I like you? Do I not like you? Am I rooting for you? Am I not rooting for you? Like, you got to be at least cognizant of, you know, the room. And uh, you know, I'm saying I'm probably not going to be invited on Rich Kleinman's podcast anytime soon, but I feel like I, I don't know if there was any consideration of like, there is a Nets fan base here and maybe can't handle this behind closed doors and not two minutes before free agency starts. Well, that's the other part that's I just, it's just never going to happen again. Like we all this stuff is public. All of it's part of the story. No. All of it's part of the coverage of the offseason. It's made it a 12 month sport, which like we we have our own Donovan Mitchell situation that. What is going weird. on there? I don't follow it day to day. Is he not so, a Nick So I, I don't even want to say we have intel on this. We do have some connection. I say How we. How many do. times is he going to take batting practice with the Mets? Can he be a, well, that's, he be a Nick already? Like enough. As a Mets fan, it warms my heart and it makes Great. me it irrational. When, Go well, join the Knicks. It, like, it makes me irrational in what I personally would give up because like seeing him tweet about the Grom and all these other Mets things, it's like, okay, I would throw RJ in a deal. I would throw this person in that. Yeah. Like, the Knicks obviously have should be a little more uh, uh, stern with their negotiations. So what it sounds like is for the first time, someone is entering negotiations with Danny Ainge and isn't desperate. And as much as Danny Ainge and his, 
I don't want to call them birdies, uh, but it's it's it, I'm trying to think who's the bald guy in Game of Thrones. I'm blanking on his name right now. Oh, Lord Varys. OK, so as much as it, uh, Lord, he's kind of do like Lord dragons. All right? You don't I do, do dragons. Well. OK, yeah. um, so it's almost like he's Lord Varys. For those who watch the show know who I'm talking about. He's got his little birdies out there saying like he will win the trade. The Knicks are the desperate ones. The Knicks were done with their offseason. They signed Jalen Brunson like they upgraded at point guard. Yep. And then the Timberwolves got desperate, traded all of these picks for Rudy Gobert. Yep. And it's like, I guess the summer of Donovan Mitchell is now. So they went into these negotiations with an offer. It sounds like they got close one night on an offer. And then Danny Ainge came back and said, well, you have to throw in one more thing. And Leon Rose was like, no, I'd actually rather. And was it RJ Barrett? No, no, no. It was like another unprotected pick because the Knicks don't only don't just want to make a trade for Donovan Mitchell. They also understand that that doesn't complete a championship roster. They then also want to have enough assets to make the next move. Right. So Listen, the Katie thing kind of held up the all of the negotiations That's what for everybody. Patrick Beverly was saying, like, you're holding up everybody, bro. Like, make a decision. So now that that's done, this some momentum might come now that there aren't seven other teams, yeah. you know, waiting to see what KD does before that. So, like, Phoenix might get involved. The the Heat might get involved. I don't see a team that can beat the Knicks offer. What is the Knicks offer exactly? I heard like so, six, six. That seems like a lot. So what Shams said the other day is two unprotected firsts, three protected firsts. So five first round picks total. And then Evan Fournier, Obi Toppin, and salary filler. Done. What are we talking about? Done. I, I, look, I, I've watched well, the NBA draft the last several years. First round picks mean nothing anymore. It's so like, the, the Jazz turned it down, though. The Jazz would Get like more down. is what I'm saying. The Jazz, I think... Obi was a nice story. Get look, rid of him for Donovan Mitchell. <laughs> I'm a bit of an Obi. I'm an Obi stan, and I like understand if the Knicks want to give up fewer unprotected picks. And because yeah. it's so hard to move Julius Randle... Like Obi probably doesn't have where a are we at with him now. It's complicated yeah. because he was such a revelation two years ago oh, and embraced him and, the him city. And his kid. It was adorable. Right. And all those feelings went away because like one Obi fast break turns the garden back to the nineties. <laughs> and like, he's a bit more efficient than Randall. All those long twos that were falling when nobody was allowed in the arena now aren't falling no. because everybody's in the arena. No. There were some effort questions last year. There's the thumbs down thing thumbs that down happened. Thing was so weird. And he just signed a four-year extension. Know, so a lot of money. So it's tough to say that Like we went into this offseason thinking like, number one priority should be to trade Randall. Yeah. We went around to multiple other insiders, reporters from other fan bases. Like, do you want Julius Randall? Yeah. Do they want Julius and Randall? Is there a market? We just couldn't find a deal. Yeah. So now that the Katie, the Katie conversation's done, there was a report that um, Phoenix might be looking for a power forward. So there's okay. the pipe tune that maybe they're interested right. in Julius Randall. There's a Charlotte deal out there because of what's happened to Miles Bridges. Um, that they might be in the market for somebody that they can at least have under contract for the next four years. That doesn't. I like happen. Mitchell, man. I like Mitchell. I think I Mitchell, do too. Yeah. Points. There's a local tie, obviously. Where there's pops and all that, and like, I don't. I don't know the N- the NBA Eastern Conference. Uh, Boston went from being a whatever team mm-hmm. to like suddenly in the finals this year. Like, I feel like the Knicks are not that far away. If RJ. You if Randall gets his act together and then who knows, you bring Donovan Mitchell and you also have Brunson. Like that's a good four. So here's here's where I stand now. And it's one thing that I think some Knicks fans are forgetting is just how good Donovan Mitchell is. Two years ago with him as their best player, the Jazz were the one seed. Like the, the Knicks seed. haven't been a one seed since 
2000. Oh, excuse me. Since 1993, excuse me, 1994. So it's tough for me to turn down something that would make the Knicks immediately a one seed or not even a one seed, but just like have a guy that's that good. Um, and I think because the ceiling doesn't make them a championship contender, there's the hesitation. Like you don't throw that type of deal in. There's also like a, because our kids are homegrown, we are less uh, likely to want to trade them or want to get rid of them. Like, Deuce like, so Deuce McBride is an untouchable to some people. Quentin Grimes is an untouchable to some people. I will also say in defense of some Who's of those the other kid from Kentucky, the point guard, Mo- uh, who'd we get from Kentucky a couple of years ago? Oh, we got a couple. Look, Kevin Knox was a Kentucky guy. Not that's Knox. that's now in. Ball. Not Grimes. There's another guy. Oh, Manuel Quickly. Manuel Quickly. quickly. Yeah. Now, Quickly, I think, would actually be a perfect six man on the Knicks. There's a movement out there that thinks that he could be a starter slash all star. I'm I'm not there yet, but I don't want to completely disqualify it because there is some math to support a high volume version of him. Yep. What I will say is like there is a team construction issue if you put Randall, Barrett. Mitchell and Brunson on the floor together. Too many just, shots. There's just one basketball. Like I don't, I don't see how like Barrett has been good off ball once, but he's much better on ball. Same thing for Jalen Brunson. I'm peppering you with questions because you're the expert. Oh, I believe me. I'm happy to answer. Bar- Barrett disappointment. Oh, fine, not at all. Exceeding expectations. I mean, I thought coming out of Duke, this was you know when they took him what fifth, fourth overall. I thought this guy was going to be a sensation. He's had his moments, but you guys are happy with Barrett. Well, so for the happiness, depends who you ask. What yeah. I'll say is the tough part about the draft class he's in is it's Zion. Good. It's just pure talent was clearly far and away. Number one, Ja has the talent and walked into a situation that's perfect for him. The guy was second team all NBA last year and his team was 20 and five when he didn't yeah. play. Um, and then Darius Garland has walked into a competent situation. Really good. The situations RJ has been in his first year, he was on the court with seven other forwards at the same time. So it was tough to find like any type of spacing. So his like any type of development that was supposed to happen. Why can't he make free throws? Well, that's something he's just personally got to work on. But like, but the three, the three point shot was really good. His second year, it took a step back. And as his volume went up, some of his accuracy, his efficiency went down. But I think the fact that he gets to the line is one of my bigger takeaway because free throw improvement can improve with time and with practice. Uh, the fact that you're getting to the line, your free throw rate is the thing that you want to look you know at. Who would have say, been a great Nick in the '90s and would have fit that mold? Number sixty-seven, Taj Gibson. Taj Gibson, yeah, a man after all. We have a shirt at our merch store Dude, that's like I get an that OG. Merch. You know what? It's not believe me. It's on us. But the fact that Taj like was a Tibbs guy and and was like Obi's mentor for two years is like why he means so much to us. Always making the right play. Always yes, like always instilling. getting the offensive rebound. The hustle. Yeah, play. yeah. That's what the Knicks are. And I know that sounds cliche. No, that's what we grew up on. Yeah. Like, that's it. Like, you know, they weren't dirty, but, you know, no one was getting in that paint when Mason and Xavier McDaniel were on the court. And Mm -hmm. I I don't know. I feel like the Knicks the last few years have shown glimpses of that. But I like that Taj Gibson was that guy. Yeah. Yeah. I will say for RJ, like after the All-Star break, when they kind of gave him more yeah. Duties with the ball raised his his usage rate. Um, we're talking a guy averaging close to twenty four a game. Um, imagine that for a full season, which no, is wait. why the argument for Randall. That what he averaged the second half of the season. It was a, it was like twenty three and change. Yeah, great for him. I didn't know that. Yeah. So cool. like high volume RJ is what you want to see, and you want to see high RJ high volume RJ without 
like Julius Randle, who clogs the paint. Martin Mitchell Robinson always down. You can't have so much of your team needing the ball or not having a perimeter game, which is a defense for keeping Obi Toppin, which is why there's so much team construction that's going into the negotiations for Donovan Mitchell. There's nothing worse those possessions where Julius Randle dribbles for 11 times mm-hmm. and then hoists up a left-handed three-pointer and you're like, what? what? Yeah. Oh, what's even worse is the left-handed long two. Because oh, I'll, I'll understand if you're taking a three. If you're taking a long two or a fadeaway. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the state of the Knicks right now. We're waiting on Donovan Mitchell. How was summer league returns? Everyone felt good or was it? So that's the other part. One of the other guys that apparently Utah is interested in is a kid named Quentin Grimes, who could like made the all summer league team looks really good creating, which they didn't think he had that coming out of college. I thought he was just like a spot up. Where's he out of school? Do you know offhand? He went to Houston. Yeah. Yeah. And we had a, so the guy who writes our newsletter, John um, had Quentin Grimes' trainer. I could send you the link um, to the newsletter, but like had him on to uh, just talk about what he's working on this off season. And it's mostly creativity. So that way he's not just like a spot up three point shooter. It's a guy that actually could do things with the ball. The Knicks have a lot of good young prospects. Trade his ass for Mitchell. That's the thing is is, is a guy that's going to end up on another team someday. (laughs) Um, So we'll see the next couple of weeks will probably be the Donovan Mitchell sweepstakes again. Um, but we'll and see. We're still in last one for me. We're still in with the coach. You know, that stuff wears thin after a year. Um, <laughs> again, depends who you ask. Yeah. Um, I, man, I wish. So our regular host, John is on vacation, but he is the biggest, Must be nice. a big, the biggest Tibbs defender. Okay. Um, I personally think it's last season got frustrating because he was doing everything he always does, like playing veterans over yep. kids, playing the guys he thinks are ready to help you win over other ones. And I think he held on to the Alec Burks and the Taj Gibson and the, the, the older veteran leash too long when you had younger energy because the Knicks needed to play at pace to have any type of chance of to win last year. And if you're you know running these veterans for 38, 40 minutes a game, they're going to get exhausted and you might need an Obi Toppin or an Emmanuel quickly. And it's funny, Pete, the moment, the moment he made the switch later in the season because they decided to prioritize um, development, like to Emmanuel quickly and Obi Toppin, the the kids started helping them win games. They finished like nine and five to end the season. And it was like, oh, so this could have been the whole year. Because Mayo quickly playing 20 minutes a game. And he's in Chicago, since, it got it got hot and at the end, and it was like the young players didn't respond. And then in Minnesota it was even worse, right? Well, so the there's there's two different things there. The the Chicago thing, like it started hot because he had a guy. Like he's it, Tibbs has never had a guy. Right. Like yeah. he's never had a guy to really like front run his offense that he just doesn't have to worry. Like what Tibbs is, is I've always compared him to Rex Ryan. He's a defensive coordinator, a genius at that. And yeah. if Rex got paired with the right QB, I'm convinced he'd still be coaching sure. right now. But he never did and didn't have someone to really develop Mark Sanchez into what anything Sanchez could yeah. become. And Tibbs has only had Derrick Rose for really two years. Yep. And since then, like he had Jimmy Butler for a year, but Jimmy just like did not want to play in Minnesota. <laughs> you could say Carl Anthony Towns was too young to be that guy. Yeah. Um like Andrew Wiggins obviously wasn't ready to be. He's really he Golden State and looks like he's all world. Yeah, we were we were ready for Andrew Wiggins to be the third guy. But there's a on way team, that the main you know, I, I cover the NFL, and there's a way that Cliff Kingsbury and Sean McVay and Kevin O'Connell speak to their players, and mm-hmm. there's a way that the guys from 15 years ago 
treated their players. And I think the today's generation might respond better to the former rather than the latter. And I know that sounds kind of antithetical to, you know, you've got Steve Kerr coaching and you've got it, but like, I look at the coach up in Boston and how mm-hmm. he operates. I look at that young coach in Minnesota. I like him. Um, I, do too. I feel like there's like a youth movement at the coaching position and I'm not an agent by any means, but uh-huh. is this guy the one to connect with these young players? And if not, is it time to move on? I, I will say every kid on the team swears by him. Okay. Like RJ swears by him quickly, swears by him. Obi swears and the by him. Rookies love Belichick. So right. It's, so it's, it, it's, I, I will say if they get off to like a six and 18 start, I think their assistant coach, Johnny Bryant, who came yeah. from Utah, yep. um, will be the head coach. Okay. Um, and look, Johnny Bryant is also a reason why a lot of Knicks fans think the Donovan, Donovan Mitchell. Mitchell to the yeah. Knicks is. But I also want to see what Tibbs looks like when he has an offensive guy. I mean, I thought it could be Jalen Brunson. Um, and now if it's Brunson and Donovan Mitchell. Awesome. Like, I'd like to see what the best defensive coach this side of you may of uh of uh, the Raptors coach. I'm blanking on his name. Um, but outside oh, yeah. of Nurse, Nick Yeah, Nurse. Nick Nurse. Outside of Nick oh. Nurse or like an Ime Udoka like the better defensive minded coaches that like have an offensive philosophy, but they're really more focused on stopping you from scoring. I like to see what that looks like with Tibbs yeah. for all we know, like it'll, it'll happen. The trade will happen and it still will lead to Johnny Bryant being the head coach anyway. Right. Um, but look, so it's funny you bring up the nineties as like the, the time that we grew up watching the team and loving the team. It's because it was all about basketball. It's X's and O's. And for the last 20 years, aside from the mellow saga, like it's mostly been about, well, like did Charles Oakley get it, get tossed out by security? Did Did Derrick Rose just put on 30 or 40 pounds? Right. Like it's, it's all like, like did James Dolan go on ESPN radio and it's this other distractions. I do think we're at a point, which is what I've been telling some Knicks fans that some of my Knicks fans, friends that have like stopped watching basketball. They're like, do I dare tap back in? And it's like, now it's really all about X's and O's. It's all about roster construction. And dude, it's a great transition because I think they're a lot further, a lot further away than what you guys are, but that's where the jets are right now. And I would tell that to jets fans that this last draft class, not only did they get three first round picks, but Brees Hall was considered a fourth uh, first round pick. And I know Joe Douglas well, and he told me he was trying to trade up at the end of the first round to get him they got him in the second round. And there's this kid, Michael Clemens, who's a defensive lineman at a Texas A&M who missed the senior bowl because he wasn't feeling too hot and didn't get a chance to do that. And then he slips to day three and he's a beast also. So like the Jets have five different guys. And then you add in Ruckert, who's going to be a tight end six that are in this draft class alone. And Sala is as likable and as rootable a coach as you'll find in the league. So like they're not going to win a ton of games this year, the Jets. Mm-hmm. And maybe you don't want to tap in and waste your Sundays at you know one o'clock watching them lose to the Bills and the Dolphins and the Patriots this year. But if there is a time to get in from the ground up, and I know they've heard this the last decade, like Jets fans, like this is a very, very promising future with this team. And that's without me even talking about the quarterback, who I'm not sure on yet. Yeah, that's the thing I was going to ask you is like, so I have two friends I want to shout out. My buddy, so friend of the pod, his name is Yash, who is as optimistic a Jets fan as you'll find, was on the 10 and 7 bandwagon for the Jets until very the optimistic. Wilson, until cool. a Wilson injury. Yeah. And then even with Flacco and then only the the Beckton injury, honestly, the the deflated his 10 and 7 more than anything else. But um I just want to know, like, like I wore Jet Green for this like pod it. in particular. Respect. Um and I 
Like, what is the reason for me to not be the same old dejected Jets fan? Oh, because it's a whole different feeling in the building. The GM okay, and good. coach are on the same page. Like, they understand. Like, I will tell you this. It might be five wins this year. It might be six okay. wins this year. But know that just like what we saw in LA, like it took a little while. In San Francisco, it takes a little while. And they believe in Wilson. Now, the injury is a setback, but like, they like him. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you that I've had any proof that he's the real deal, but they like him. And like, at the very least, this isn't, you know, a, an old team that is, you know, playing with like crappy veterans and they're going to be mediocre over here. They're, they're building something and they drafted really well. And the fan base, which hasn't seen a playoff, you know, birth since the Rex Ryan years, obviously, and hasn't seen a team that's been truly easy to root for maybe since those squads. Like, I think you're going to want to root for Garrett Wilson. You're going to want to root for Sauce Gardner. Mm-hmm. Like, I, they're good dudes and they're good players. And that Rex Ryan team was built on, you know, the backs of, you know, Revis, obviously, but a lot of different young players that had come along and kind of blossomed at the same time. And yeah. Then, that know, offensive line of first rounders is so underrated. Yeah. And all that, like those guys were legends. Yeah. And um, I don't know what the jets are going to be this year. And I actually think, between us and your listeners, like, I don't think the loss of Wilson for Flacco at the start of the season is as drastic as it's being made out to be. Flacco can play right now. We're still not sure where Wilson's at with the playbook. We're still not sure whether Wilson's going to be able to take it. Wilson's probably uh, 2023. Let's look for the big jump anyway. Um, as much as we've heard great things, like Flacco can hold his own and Flacco mm. can be just fine. Um, it's going to be a tough year. The AFC is absolutely loaded. The AFC East is absolutely loaded. So I don't see a ton of wins but I think there's promising returns and I would almost focus on the next 18 months as opposed to the next like three months. So the other Jets fan, I'm going to shout out um, my buddy, Evan, he's a teacher in Queens and he's the, he's the fellow pessimistic Jets fan and his mom works at Clemson. So he grew up like a, a Trevor, like a Clemson fan. And when the Trevor Lawrence sweepstakes were happening, it was his dream come true that yeah. like, this guy's going to be a jet. And then yeah. with three weeks to go, it gets ruined. They beat um, the Rams in a non uh, nothing game. game. And nothing. I'm the one that's like, just nail the two pick. But yeah. like, yeah. I also understand from his perspective, like you have the right to be upset, but he's even been starting to get me a little more optimistic about Zach. Um, I, my hope for this season is way less about how many games they win. I just don't want like 27, nothing at the Raiders. I don't, I don't want blowouts. Like get it. Give the me the game was last night and it wasn't the starters, but like that felt like a Jets game the last few years. And it's like, right. that be acceptable. They, they cannot come out to another field and just be the worst team every single time. Like at least put up a fight and there are flashes, you know, Wilson played well the last few games last year. And, I honestly think there's going to be a spirit and fervor to this team. And they're going to start like living and breathing the Sala style, which is like, you know, you know, his thing. It's all gas, no mm-hmm. break. Again, they're not a playoff team this year. I'll put that on and I'm not being critical. I just don't see it in the AFC, but there will be great strides. I think from a lot of those individual players. Right. I'm looking for, give me the lion season from last year where they had 11 sure. covers, you know, like I'll, I'll settle for close games. In the game, ju- yeah. Like Justin Tucker has to hit a record setting field yeah. to beat me. That's I'll take that. The game was competitive and watchable into the fourth quarter. Um, I would be uh, not a good uh, host of the show. If I didn't also ask for on behalf of giants fans, yeah. the last question um, what do you think about Dable? Is yeah. this the last chance for Daniel Jones? Can you I'm fix him? As, I'm not as optimistic on the Giants this year okay. because I feel like there's a lot of 
transition. And this is year two of Sala and year three of Douglas where they're like, all right, this is our plan in motion. Joe Shane is a fantastic GM and is going to be fantastic at his job. And Brian Dable, I think is the right guy, but there's a lot of stuff they have to still undo from the last few years and the previous regimes and the previous contracts that were signed. So uh, I don't know if Daniel Jones is the quarterback next year. He gets the, gets a chance this year to prove that he is. And the only way that he can really prove it is by being undeniable and being awesome. So you actually know going into this season when they didn't pick up his contract option, that like the Giants basically said, like, go prove it to us. And if he isn't, he isn't. He'll go somewhere else and that's fine. And they'll start again. But I mean, Saquon, Saquon's not playing in these preseason games. It's like, yeah. all right, like we're still on ice. Like what do we do? So I, I don't know. I, there's, there is a, a lot to be undone contract wise, roster construction wise from the previous regime that I can't say with great uh, enthusiasm that the Giants are going to turn it around this season. Again, next season might be the year. Could it be a, a hint of a because their division, I guess their division isn't as weak as oh, it used to be. They could win it. No, yeah, they absolutely okay. could win it. And the, the NFC is so wide open. If the Jets were in the NFC, I'd be singing a different tune. The NFC mm. is completely wide open. And, you know, like I said, Brian Dable and Mike Kafka, who's the offensive coordinator. Kafka was with Mahomes the last two years, learning from Andy Reid. Like, you're not going to get two better offensive young minds than Dable and Kafka. If they can't get it out of Daniel Jones, I don't have much confidence that anyone can. Okay. Well, Giants fans, I hope you got some closure or got like what you heard. Um, if you're a Jets fan, I I hope you're you like the optimistic tune that that Pete is singing to at least the future of the Jets, wait, whether wait, the present or you, not is. Do you go to these Knicks games? Or you so watch at home? We watch at home. We watch at home. Yeah, because we do these post-game live, live streams. You live tweet, live stream. We live tweet and we then we live stream afterwards on our YouTube channel. Yeah. All right. I got to follow all of it. Uh, I go to a couple of Knicks games a year. My hours are crazy. I got to be up at 4 a.m. every morning, so I don't go to a lot of the evening games. But sometimes during March and April, they've got those Sunday afternoon games. I'll get mm-hmm. to them. And I went to the last few years, Martin Luther King Day games. Last year was against the Hornets. I love going to the Garden. If you're ever at the Garden... And I'm there. I would love to, you know, get absolutely. In fact, I'm. I might be kind of announcing something right now. So last year we did a an event with MSG where we actually got to watch a game in a suite, and it was like presented by MSG, a bunch of our followers, and we got to watch a game with a bunch of our fans. Maybe that's the game that we get to to meet. All due respect to Wally Zerbiak and whoever else is in the booth. uh, I would be fine with you guys on MSG and actual fans as well. Let's go. Absolutely. Peter Schrager, ladies and gentlemen, before you get going, if anybody has no idea where to find you, please tell the folks where they can find you. Uh, My Twitter handle, I don't do Instagram. My Twitter handle is at P-S-C-H-R-A-G-S. And then I host the morning show on NFL Network every day, 7 to 10 on NFL Network. Uh, Our show is a little different. It's not just ball. We talk NBA. We talk uh, pop culture. We talk all sorts of shit. So uh, my Game of Thrones uh, reference aside, I I can usually (laughs) hang with most things. And uh, I appreciate being on. This is awesome. Absolutely. Thank you, Pete. Thank you. A humongous thank you to two people, to David Perlnutter, first of all, for setting this up. Um, David, this was this was way too nice of you. Thank you for for making this possible. And of course, to Peter Schrager for coming on today's pod. I hope you all enjoyed it. If you're a football fan and this was the first time you've heard of Peter Schrager, let me recommend four things. The first is, of course, Good Morning Football, the morning show that he hosts on the NFL Network alongside Jamie Erdahl, Kyle Brandt, and Jason McCourty. As he mentioned, it's 
not necessarily a football show. Obviously, football guides the conversation, but it isn't the only conversation. Um, I have a buddy who's a pastor out in Long Island. I'm pretty sure he's tuning in for this episode specifically, who... Like if you walk into his office during the hours of 7 a.m. and I, whenever Good Morning Football goes off, this show is on. He is a, a very loyal watcher of this this program, and I'm sure he enjoyed this episode. Shout out to you, Pastor Jeff. Um, Good Morning Football, every time I've watched, especially on a Monday morning after an NFL weekend, it has been entertaining. It's been informative. And I think if you're a football fan and you're not watching, you should check it out sometimes. Um, I've enjoyed or appreciated their coverage of the Deshaun Watson part as well, which I'll just leave that at that. Uh, the second thing I'll recommend is the pod that he referenced called Flying Coach. Uh, he and uh, now Super Bowl champion head coach Sean McVay. Uh, hosted a pod for The Ringer. They just went back and forth having conversations with NFL head coaches. The Kyle Shanahan episode was outstanding. I'm pretty sure the feed is still active. You're welcome, Bill Simmons, for the free publicity. And speaking of Bill Simmons, the third thing I'm re- going to recommend, all of my degenerate friends that gamble on the NFL religiously, they swear by the Friday episode of the Bill Simmons podcast during football season, which has Peter on. So if you are looking to make a buck and get into sports gambling in New York, it's legal now, so I can recommend it. Uh, The Friday uh, Bill Simmons pod with Peter Schrager. I remember the run that they went on during the Buccaneers run to the Super Bowl, where every week they were betting on the Bucks and they swept throughout the playoffs and cleaned up. Um, but this is this is Bill's million dollar picks that he does every Friday. So um, there you go. The those are the first thing. The last thing I recommend is the book he co-authored with Victor Cruz. I know I get pegged again as the Giants hater. I'm really not. They are my heroes. They made sure the Patriots undefeated season didn't happen. I just don't think Eli Manning is a Hall of Fame, a Hall of Famer. I like winning more games than you lost is important to me. Having said that, um, Victor Cruz has a fascinating story, and the book that they did together, Out of the Blue, is one of one of my favorites from the last decade. Um, if I own it, it's one of my favorites, is what I'll say. I usually don't do that um, if I if I don't like. I usually don't buy a book unless it's just funny to say this because I actually have bought a lot of books that I don't like. Um, I'm personally just going to recommend it. If you're a Giants fan and haven't read the Victor Cruz story or don't know the Victor Cruz story, you will appreciate it. Um, guy that means obviously a lot to Giants fans. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope I did a good job for all of you. Oh, one thing I wanted to clarify. I brought both of them up on the pod with uh, during the conversation with Peter and I didn't get a chance to. This is the, the fast pace of the, the peppering that he, he hit me with with the questions. Um, I brought up Yash and I brought up Evan, uh, my two buddies, obviously John's friend from from law school and my friend from high school. Uh, I brought them up as the two sides of the Jets fan coin, the most optimistic Jets fan I know and the most pessimistic Jets fan I know. They're also both the most knowledgeable Jets fans I know, which I wanted to stress before I get out of here. Yash is the most knowledgeable 
optimistic Jets fan I know. Evan is the most knowledgeable, pessimistic Jets fan I know. I go to both of them for both sides of the coin. When I'm feeling optimistic about the Jets, I go to Yash. When I'm feeling down in the dumps about the Jets, I go to Evan. And they they, they both mean the world to me, and they both know their football. So, shout out to both of them. I hope they checked out this episode. I hope they appreciate this shout out at the end. And I hope you guys enjoyed uh, this, this experience as a whole, this two-parter that was not meant to be a two Parter. If you dig the show, head on over to iTunes, drop a five-star rating and a review. I've got another episode that I'm I'm supposed to be hosting and an interview I'm doing later this week. It may get scrapped because a trade happens and we're pulling people back from vacation and and going live. And if look, it shouldn't be a surprise if Donovan Mitchell is traded to the Knicks, if Julius Randle is traded off the Knicks, if something happens, you know where to find us. Um, that be on YouTube, the KFS YouTube channel, which now has over 10,000 subscribers. I love saying that. Until next time, thank you for listening, and we'll speak with you soon. Peace. Peace.